In this week's episode, we find out how to pick up a cup of coffee, how to run away from a bear, and the connection between the mind and the body. Bringing hope and healing. It's your source for personal growth, mental health, and interesting ideas. Thoughtful Mind with Svee. Here's your host, Svee Hilsenrath. And welcome back to Thoughtful Mind with Svee. I'm your host, Svi Hilsenrath. Sitting in between your ears right now is an incredibly complex and sophisticated piece of machinery, your brain. Everything you think, every decision you make, every emotion you feel, and indeed, every sense you experience is happening inside your brain right now. The fact that you think of yourself as a you the fact that you have an identity, the fact that you experience the world, it all rests between your ears in your brain. And so let's take a few minutes now to uncover some of the complex workings of the brain and how it sometimes gets in its own way. And today we're really going to focus on the connection between the mind and the body. The connection between our brain, our mind, and our body is deeper than people give credit for. And sometimes we experience things that we don't understand, and it comes down to that connection between the brain and the body, and sometimes our brain gets in its own way. And a classic example of that is the rubber hand illusion. Experiments have shown, and you can try this at home if you have the right equipment, that if a person places a rubber hand in front of them and connects their sleeve to it so it looks like it's coming from their body, and then hides their actual hand that matches the rubber hand behind a book or a wall or or something else obstructing the vision and a brush like a paintbrush or somebody else's hand uh, touches both the real and the fake hand simultaneously the person will experience the fake hand as their own to the point where painful objects like needles uh, or a hammer can be put into the rubber hand, the fake hand, and not the real one, but the person will experience the pain. Because your brain is constantly scanning the body for feedback and input, and it's using all five senses to do so. And so the visual aspect of seeing the fake hand and having the connection of your real hand and fake hand syncing up with with the touch sensation of the original brush then tricks your brain into thinking that the rubber hand is yours and you experience things that happen to the rubber hand as if it happens to you. This is also why people that lose limbs will sometimes feel phantom limbs. It's because the brain is trying to create a limb that does not exist but has existed for a long time. Because the sensations of our body really happen between our ears. Yes, the signals are sent from our nerves in case of touch, or our taste buds, or our eyes in case of vision, but ultimately it is our brain that interprets them. I do want to point out before I go further that many of the ideas that I speak about here can be found in the book 30 Second Brain, which the entire 30 Second series has very short articles that can be read in about 30 seconds, um, as well as areas to explore further, uh, not only topic of the brain, but also things such as um, physical theories or psychological theories, or even just interesting ideas. 
But to get back to the brain and the body, even something as simple as picking up a cup of coffee. You go to Starbucks, you go to Rook Coffee, you go to Quick Check, Wawa, wherever you pick up your favorite coffee in a cup, in a paper cup. You pour the coffee in, and then you pick up the cup. And it seems like a very simple action. If I were to ask someone to describe what happens between the brain and the body in the act of picking up the cup, you might say, well, I tell my arm to reach out and pick up the cup, and it does so. But it's a bit more complicated than that. First of all, our eyes relay information to the brain as far as vision goes about what's happening around us. But the fact that we see things with a sense of depth is the function of the brain. The fact that we see things in relation to us, in other words, I am here and that thing is there, is a function of the brain. Because the eye, all of the images of the eye, take place in the eye. The light comes in and the eye translates it. And if we were to look at just the information produced by the eye, it would seem as though everything in the world is happening in our eyes. In other words, the information provided to us by our eyes is happening as if it was happening in the eye itself. And so the fact that we experience a world around us is a construct of the brain. And so the first thing that happens is we have to see the coffee, and our brain has to tell us that that coffee exists outside of our eyes. And then our brain has to be aware of the fact that we have eyes, that our eyes are inside of our head, that our head is attached to our body, that our head and our body in place A, and the cup of coffee is in place B. Then the brain has to be aware that the arm is attached to the body, it has to know how to move that arm to where the coffee is, the proper amount of space and speed and time used in getting the arm and the hand to where it needs to go. And then the brain has to keep a catalog of everything in existence and the proper amount of force to use when picking an object up. Because if you pick up, for example, an egg, and you're using the same amount of force to pick up that egg they were using to pick up, say, a two-pound bag of flour, you're going to crush that egg. And so the brain keeps a running catalog of everything in existence and uses that catalog to estimate how much force is needed to pick up new objects that you have never picked up before so that you don't go crushing eggs and cups of coffee or that you have enough force to pick up rocks or two-pound bags of flour. In fact, this is one of the biggest problems with programming robots that pick up things is programming them to know how much force is needed to pick up an object. Because if that program is not correct, you're going to have a lot of crushed eggs and cups of coffee. And so when in interacting with the world in the simple act of picking up a cup of coffee, we see there's like five, seven, eight, there's a bunch of different processes that happen in the brain. And they happen all throughout the brain. It's not one specific part of the brain that picks up the cup of coffee. It is entire sections of the brain working together instantaneously to do the simplest task. And now we get to running away from a bear. Now, obviously, the right way to run away from a bear is very, very fast. But why are we afraid when we see a bear running away? If you're walking the field or the forest, or I, I don't quite know where bears live, but if you are walking along and you see a bear charging toward you, why are you afraid? So you might think, well, I see the bear and I'm afraid and then I run away. But is that what happens? So over a century ago, there was a man named William James, and I've mentioned him before. He was America's answer to Sigmund Freud or Carl Jung. He was a psychologist and philosopher. 
And he theorized that it's not that we feel an emotion and therefore act in a certain way or think in a certain way. He theorized that we act in a certain way and then our brain, scanning our body constantly, notices us doing something and creates an emotion to suit. And at the time, it was not a popular theory, but a hundred years later, he's been proven right by neuroscience. And you can do the same thing, and we've spoken about this in an earlier episode, by forcing yourself to smile by taking a pen and putting it sideways and putting it all the way back in your mouth for 30 seconds or a minute and tricking your brain into thinking that you are smiling. Your brain notices you smiling, says, oh, we're smiling, therefore we must be happy, and then releases serotonin, making you feel happy. So it's not, I am happy, and therefore I smile. It's, I smile, and therefore I am happy. Well, the same thing happens when you encounter danger. When you encounter danger, whether it's a bear or a saber-toothed tiger, or the police pulling behind you when you're speeding, or a letter from the IRS, or being held up in the street, it's not that you feel fear and then act a certain way. When you see these dangers, or more importantly, these perceived dangers, your fight-or-flight response, the part of your brain that is out of your control, kicks in and starts making changes in your body. And so your body will begin to fill with adrenaline, blood will flush out of your brain into your limbs to better prepare you to either fight or run away. Your heart rate will go up, your breathing will go up, all these physiological changes will happen to better help you address what you perceive to be a danger, and this is important, whether or not it actually is dangerous. And then the brain, which is constantly scanning the body to know how to feel emotionally, will say, oh, these changes are happening, we must be afraid, and then we'll activate the amygdala, and the amygdala will release chemicals, letting the rest of your brain know, oh, we are afraid. So it's not, I see a bear, I am afraid, I run away. It's, I see a bear, I either prepare to run away or I do run away, and then I feel fear. Now, all this happens extremely quickly, but that order is important. That order is important because many of the perceived dangers that we experience in life are just that. They are perceived and not real. And so if we find ourselves feeling anxiety or fear during everyday tasks, and it is inappropriate, it can be very helpful to notice what is happening with our body and start to make changes to reverse things like heavy breathing or fast breathing, slow down your breathing. Walk slower. Remind yourself that what is happening is not a bear. It's not a saber-toothed tiger. It is not actually dangerous. Begin to get your body under control, and you can tell your brain it is okay. You don't need to feel afraid. Now, some might say, well, emotions get in my way. They prevent me from doing what I need to do. If I perceive something as dangerous and it's not, it's going to stop me from living my life fully. How do I shut off the emotions? And this is a good question. And, and part of the reason that it's a, a good question is because we tend to assume that the emotions and rational thinking are o- almost opposed to each other. And there's some amount of truth to that because if we just throw out all rational thinking and just go with our emotions, we'll probably make very poor decisions that will lead very quickly to an unhappy and unhealthy life. That having been said... When people undergo brain trauma, 
or necessary brain surgery, and the emotional and rational parts of the brain are disconnected because the orbital frontal cortex is damaged or removed, something very strange happens. When a person is only rational with no emotions, instead of becoming an extremely effective person, an excellent decision maker, people become paralyzed by life. They are unable to make the simplest decision, any decision at all. They become frozen by everything. Because it turns out that emotions play a very, very important role in making even rational, healthy decisions. And when I'm working with clients, many times, and when I'm working with clients and I ask them to describe their ultimate version of themselves, many times they describe what seems to be an emotionless robot, this effective person or this effective thing, just doing stuff, making only healthy decisions, always doing the exact right thing, being perfect, being robotic. But it turns out that, guess what? People are not robots. We are human. We are fully human. And rather than trying to run away from that, embrace that. Embrace the fact that much of your decisions are made emotionally. Don't run away from it. Understand that if you had no emotions, you would be frozen by life. And what that means is, yes, sometimes you will make the wrong emotional decision. And yes, it is true in life. It is important to try to keep the emotions in check and think rationally and to make healthy decisions. But anytime you catch yourself getting upset about an emotionally based decision you made, remind yourself that the same emotion that got you to make this bad decision or this unhealthy decision is the exact same part of your brain that gets you to make all the healthy, successful, helpful decisions that you make throughout life. People are not robots. And that's a good thing. That's it for this week. This is actually the last episode of the second season. I look forward to all the very interesting episodes coming out in season three. I want to thank everybody that has been reaching out and giving me feedback on the return of the podcast. It's much appreciated. If you could take two minutes, if you're listening to this on Apple Podcast or Spotify, take two minutes and just rate the podcast. I'm going to ask you to give it five stars, but if you think it deserves less, then that's up to you. And until next time, go out, believe in yourself.